0: morning. Today's reading is taken from John chapter 15 verses 1 to 10. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. this is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Heavenly Jesus, as we explore your word today. I pray that you will reveal what it means to remain in the vine. And I pray that you will teach us what it means to be a true disciple so that you can lead us into a deeper relationship with you. Amen. Now those of you who know me will be aware that I'm a bit of a health and fitness fanatic. I like to go out running regularly. And I always like to start my day with a bowl of porridge and a handful of blueberries. So I've actually read somewhere that they're full of lots of antioxidants, which is very healthy. However, I get quite frustrated that um, often when I go to the fridge, many of the blueberries have got this really nasty furry mould on them. Now, in order to prevent the, the, the whole carton from becoming infected... I had to pick through all of these blueberries one by one and um, discard the bad ones. Because the problem with blueberries is that once they've been picked from their tree, I think it's a tree they grow on, it's not a vine or a bush, um, they don't have a very long shelf life and they end up infecting all the others, which renders them unfit for my personal consumption. Now, in today's passage... Jesus describes himself as the true vine, the source from which we can draw our strength and our purpose as Christians. Without the branch to sustain us, we become unfit for his purpose. We end end up like my blueberries, decaying and eventually infecting all the good ones. I want to explore this further later. Before we start unpacking This passage, I think it would be useful to just put a little bit of context around it. Now, the true vine teaching is Jesus' final I am um, teaching um, in this this series, where we learn about his character and his identity. We began by looking at Jesus as the bread of life right back at the beginning of January. We learned that he's the loving Saviour who will sustain us if we if we turn to him. Then we learned about him being the light of the world. He's our hope and guidance in times of darkness. After that, um, Job brought us the good shepherd, the loving shepherd who will lay down his life for us. And then we looked at him being the resurrection and the life, the one who conquered death so that we can have eternal life. And then last week, Sarah talked to us about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way to the Father and to an eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Now in the true vine passage, Jesus is addressing his disciples privately in an upper room in Jerusalem, immediately after the Last Supper and just before his arrest and his crucifixion. The mood is growing increasingly sombre as Jesus has just been speaking to his disciples about his death. He's also predicted Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Now I can imagine that the disciples are probably feeling that their whole world is falling apart. Now by the time we get to chapter 14, Jesus is actually trying to comfort and strengthen his disciples in order to prepare them for their mission beyond his departure. However, despite being taught a number of lessons, the disciples are still bombarding Jesus with quite a lot of questions. For example, Simon Peter asked Jesus why he can't follow him now. So it seems that he's missing the point of his mission on earth after Christ's death. Thomas asked Jesus where he is going and how he can know the way. Here Thomas has a lack of understanding that the way to God is through Jesus. And lastly, Judas, but not Iscariot, asks Jesus why he intends to show himself to disciples and not to the the whole world. Judas still needs to learn that Jesus only reveals himself to those who love and follow him. So the disciples are clearly quite worried about their future. And Jesus, at this point, only has a limited time to to prepare them for life without him. As he points out, the prince of the world of Satan is fast approaching. Now, the disciples actually remind me of my students. I'm an English teacher. Um, Just before they go into their GCSE exams... Now, like the disciples, despite being taught really well, because I do teach them fairly well, um, they're still afraid of the unknown and have heaps of last minute questions about Romeo and Juliet or an, an inspector calls. And like Jesus, I answer their questions and try to reassure them. And like Jesus, I want to make sure that they are ready to take that next step without me being present, to give them all the answers. So as we move closer towards chapter 15, the end of the evening is fast approaching, and it's almost time for Jesus and his disciples to leave that security of the upper room to go out into the outside world. Jesus instructs the disciples to come, let us leave. Therefore, Jesus is either speaking to his disciples' as they are moving towards the door of that upper room, or they may have even been on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think that John positions Jesus, the true vine teaching at this point in in the sequence of events, as it signifies that that intimate life with Jesus in human form is actually coming to an end. The disciples were near to both literally and metaphorically step over the threshold into a world where they no longer have Jesus by their side. So just like my students, um, they're just like my students who are about to enter the examination room. So throughout the True Vine chapter, Jesus gives his disciples some last-minute reassurance and advice in order to prepare them for their mission in his absence. However, time is limited, so Jesus' tone becomes quite firm and measured. And he also uses an agricultural allegory, which would have been a quite a familiar point of reference to disciples, as vineyards at that time contributed to a large part of the economy in biblical times. Furthermore, he, uses, he repeats a lot of key words throughout the chapter, such as, the word branch, bear, fruit, remain and love. And I think he does this to really reinforce his point point to get his message across so that he can prepare the disciples. So I want to unpack the passage further just by looking at three main themes in the chapter. The first one is discipleship. The second one, cleansing. And the third one, relationship. <coughs> So let's begin by looking at the theme of discipleship, which is illustrated by the branches and the fruits in the chapter. The passage opens with Jesus explaining to the disciples that he is the true vine and his father is the gardener. Now if we look at the illustration on the PowerPoint, we can see that Jesus is the trunk which has its roots in Israel or Christ's beginnings. The vine is used as a symbol of Israel's fruitfulness in the Old Testament. But in this passage, Jesus calls himself the true vine as he has superseded the work of the Israelites. God as the gardener is the one who cares for the vine. He is the one who sends the Holy Spirit through the weather to nurture and sustain the vine, in order that it can bear fruit. Now the word fruit is mentioned eight times in this passage to emphasise the role of the disciples, which is to bear fruit, or to bring people into relationship with the Father through Christ. Christ also goes on to encourage the disciples that they should not only bear fruit, but bear much fruit, now, in previous chapters, the disciples were struggling to contemplate life without Christ. But in this chapter, Jesus is reinforcing their mission in his absence. He's also, he also says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Now, in order for the disciples to bear fruit, they need to be closely connected to Jesus, the vine even though Jesus would be leaving them in due course. The disciples would be able to take courage from this image, which shows they would remain within close proximity to Christ despite his absence. However, Jesus goes on to warn the disciples that should they not bear fruit, they will be cut off. And should they not remain in him, they will be like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Furthermore, they'll be picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. And these are quite quite powerful images. God the gardener removes the dead wood as it infects the, the healthy wood and prevents others from growing. Dead wood hinders growth as it obstructs The sunlight or the Holy Spirit. Now, in the case of the disciples, in the the case of discipleship, disconnected Christians can prevent others from growing and also becoming more fruitful. Therefore, they need to be removed. This warning was probably made with Judas in in mind. Becoming disconnected um, from Jesus at the least will result in in isolation and emptiness on earth. And at the very most, could result in eternal damnation. Either way, the consequences are bleak. Now, as true followers of Christ, I think there are times when we need to think carefully about whether there are things in our lives that are cutting us off from Christ and hindering our own spiritual growth. For example, are we mixing with people who are preventing us from flourishing as Christians? Are we engaged in activities that prevent us developing as disciples? Now, we all have weaknesses for things that perhaps do not honour God. Perhaps we enjoy too many glasses of wine on a regular basis. I must admit that... um, One glass of Prosecco can often lead into a few more for me, especially when I'm out with friends. Or perhaps we enjoy watching um, TV programmes that aren't particularly edifying. And again, I must confess, last summer, I had a bit of an addiction to Love Island, and I ended up spending a lot of my summer holidays catching up on, on the whole series, which probably wasn't very healthy. Or perhaps... We are the ones who are preventing others from growing. And another thing that I struggle with is getting involved in workplace gossip. I know that this is an area of dead wood in my life that can prevent me from being fruitful and can perhaps prevent others from getting to know Christ as I'm not being a very good witness. Now, as a Christian, I should be rising above this and act Cutting it off, but it's not—it's it's not always um, easy. So I'm often tempted to um, to encourage it by listening to to the gossip or even fueling it by taking part. Now we all have areas in our lives where we perhaps fall short of our role as disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I really don't like the idea of becoming a piece of. Unwanted deadwood or a mouldy blueberry that needs to be removed and thrown away. Occasionally, we need to take a close look at our lives and just do, do a little bit of pruning. So, this leads on to the next theme within the passage, and that is that the, the idea of cleansing or, or pruning. Now, whereas God the gardener completely cuts off branches that bear no fruit, the branches that do bear fruit, he prunes. So rather than cutting off the branch completely, the gardener cuts it back to enable it to bear more fruit. Now, I'm not much of a gardener, so when my parents come to visit, my dad prunes a rosebush outside our back door. Now, after cutting and slicing and snipping with his secateurs, the rosebush looks quite sorry for itself. However, after a few weeks, it seems to really flourish, and I get lots of beautiful roses. Now, the phrase, no pain, no gain, springs to mind. Now, there are times when God prunes or disciplines his disciples in order to make them more fruitful. Perhaps there are times when we become maybe too complacent or even misguided. Therefore, we might need to be pruned disciplined and cleansed in order to become more useful, more fruitful for God. And sometimes this can be quite painful. However, there are are times when our most fruitful ministry can come out of some of our deepest pain and that kind of harsh cutting off. I can recall occasions in my own life when I have become complacent or misguided as a Christian and I've deviated from God's plan in my life. When I was in my early 20s, I had a relationship with a work colleague who did not respect my Christian values. So I stopped going to church and I, and I questioned my own beliefs. I entered a very dark place and I got really hurt. But once I got my life back on track, I actually became a stronger Christian and more fruitful. I was able to use this event to encourage and support a couple of my close Christian friends who were going through similar experiences. Now the pruning did not stop there in my early 20s. He's constantly reminding me that there are areas of my life that need cutting back and sometimes it can be really painful confronting these truths and, and I, I, I can get really hurt by that but in the end... It's worth it. Now, Peter is a really good example of someone who had to really suffer as a result of his actions when he denied that he knew Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. In Matthew 26, verse 74, we are told that Peter wept bitterly. So we get the idea from this very short sentence that Peter's actions really cut him deeply. His remorse actually led to great personal suffering. Even though he had lost his way, Jesus recognised Peter's anguish and he was forgiven and his relationship restored and he became a much stronger person as a result. Peter later became the rock on which Jesus built his church. And this really comes to fruition in Act 4 when both Peter and John convert 5,000. Through his disobedience, through his suffering and then his later repentance, Peter became a fruitful disciple of Christ. So to be effective disciples, there are times when we need to go through this period of cleansing, possibly suffering and renewal. As well as this, we need to be in the right relationship with Christ. So this leads me on to the final theme in the passage, and that is relationship. Now, throughout the passage, Jesus uses the word remain 11 times. I don't think that it's any coincidence that the the word features the most, as we can see from this wordle image from the passage. In order to be fruitful, we need to remain in Christ and Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that he will give us, give us anything that we want. For example, he won't give us a new car um, or a, a new job unless it serves a particular purpose to bring people in relationship with him. But what it does mean is that Jesus will hand out spiritual blessings to those who ask. If we we remain faithful to him within both the spirit and the Word, we will only ask for those things that will bless others and bring others closer to him. And he will sustain us and give us peace and courage to glorify him in our own discipleship. So what does it mean to remain in him? Well, I think we need to stay completely focused on Jesus. We can remain focused by spending more time with Jesus through maybe our daily worship or prayer or Bible readings. And I personally think that my time last summer could have been much better spent um, with Jesus than watching back-to-back episodes of Love Island We also need to be seeking opportunities to be good disciples by sharing the good news that Jesus died so that we can receive forgiveness and new life. How often do we fail to do this? How often have we been like Peter who denied Jesus three times? How many times have we failed to mention that we are going to church on Sunday When our friends or colleagues ask us what we're doing at the weekend, and I know I've been guilty of this in the past, we are quite happy to tell them that we're going to visit family or going for a meal with friends or going to the theatre. But do we actually talk about him? Now, if we are in a true relationship with Christ, surely we want to share the love that we have for Jesus Do we weep bitterly when we miss an opportunity? Finally, in verse 9, the focus shifts towards love and obedience. Jesus says, As the Father loved me, so I loved you. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I kept my Father's commands, I remain in his love. Ultimately, discipleship comes from our relationship with a Father who loves us unconditionally. It is by sharing this love that we will become fruitful for Christ. So I just want to finish by posing a few questions. Where are we in our relationship with Christ? Are we remaining in his love? Or are we distracted by something else or even openly rejecting him? Are we in a position to produce fruit? Or are we carrying some dead wood that needs pruning? Are we preventing others from growing? Now, like Christ's disciples before us, we are charged by God to remain faithful and obedient to Christ's teachings. Our purpose on this earth is to live out our lives as disciples of Christ, to remain in him and to bear much fruit. Let us pray. Heavenly Jesus, I pray that you will help us to become better disciples for you. I pray that you will shine a light on the things in our lives that do not honour you. I also pray that if there are things that we have done in our lives that are troubling us, we, we will have the courage to place them at the foot of the cross. Father, you are the good shepherd who recognizes that we are not perfect. However, you laid down your life so that we can be cleansed, renewed, and made whole for you. So, Lord Jesus, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to show us the areas of our lives that may need cleansing and refining, so that we can become more fruitful, leading us to a deeper relationship with you. Amen.